but yeah, uh, now your personal yeah. interpretations of plagues. Also, uh, I've just gotten a question. Uh, counting the flow, the flood from when uh, when Noah built his boat, would that be considered a plague? I've never heard it defined as a plague. No. Okay, so it's just a disaster. Or is is there a term for these punishments? No, not not that I know of. It was just a punishment. I'll I'll stick um, with the sledgehammer to the face repeatedly. Personal interpretations of pretty much plagues. That. They happen, man. Um, a lot of the current thought in in the Christian circles that I frequent is not that God is trying to kill people, but by it's sort of a make the best of a bad situation that maybe we all need to just go inside and reconnect. Though more people are reconnecting with Netflix than God, I guess. Are they? Oh yeah, fun fact about Netflix. Uh, Netflix and YouTube lowered their streaming quality because they don't want to overlo uh, overload the internet providers. That explains it. Darn it. My YouTube you was low quality. Connecting with Netflix again. Oh, you've been. I don't even. No, I'm, I, have, I have. I have YouTube. Who who watches Netflix? Netflix is boring. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree. I've never used it. Uh, Matt, would you like a say in this? Um. Well, I personally love Netflix, but I do right, agree that it, I'm kicking. No. I'm kicking you out of the room. Dare you? I mean, because here's, they're not here's they're the not what they once were because all the other platforms have now kind of caught on and realized that, oh, we can do streaming too. So whereas Netflix used to be the only game in town, so they had all of the best stuff. Now it's really just like a few good original shows and The Office and West Wing. Matt, what are you eating? Nothing. Are you drinking? What are you wearing? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Could you please not be... <laughs> for one session? That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> no, I, I just thought you had some stuff in your mouth. Uh, so you guys remember, I wanted to mention one last plague. And the last, the greatest plague of our society is the co capitalist worldviews of today's world. We need to see means of protection production and freed our common brothers the only thing we have to lose are our chains thank you okay but really i've been scrolling through instagram some and i can't tell you the amount of posts that are like posts that are you know commenting on how italy's water is clearing up and pollution is stopping and the whole earth is healing and they're all like capitalism is destroying the world eco-fascism is going to destroy us all okay. Oh god, ecofascism is terrible. I'm like, wow. They're it's it's like they're taking such small vignettes of little things that are happening and like using that to further the ideology of veganism. 
<laughs> well, veganism is not something I personally do, and I'm not sure what I should support it. Because, uh, as far as I'm aware, people literally can't get all in, all the vitamins they need through going vegan because they need to take supplements. That's the only issue I have. The other thing is, are you telling me you do you believe or not that capitalism is bad for the planet? Because uh, I'm gonna be leaving out. We be here. I say unche unchecked capitalism is pretty bad as it is now, so we need to uh, develop some level of control while still leaving a free market, of course. And that's a whole other can of worms. So let's not talk about politics for now. <laughs> right. Wait, so are we not talking about it or talking about no, it? We're, we're, no, we're not talking about politics after I mentioned my views, because that's how politics works. You just, uh, if, if you're the person who has any kind of political power, you use it to spread your ideas and then you just move on before other people get a chance to talk about theirs. So let's talk about World War One, and afterwards too, because they are connected. And with us, I mean, of course, the one expert on history we have with us today, Matt. <laughs> All right, well. Oy, yeah, World War One was <laughs> that was the culmination of a whole big mess in Europe in the early 1900s and late 1800s. There was such a weird interconnection between all the European powers with different political um, alliances and defense pacts and and everything like England's Queen Victoria had three grandchildren that were ruling three different European countries. Which ones? But, um, it was George V in, um, in Britain. It was uh, Tsar Nicholas II in Russia. And it was uh, Wilhelm III in Germany. All right. And it always became weird because two of them kind of ganged up on the other one once the war broke out. You know how it is. Some sibling rivalries always persist. Have, <laughs> have you, can you honestly tell me you have never torn asunder a continent in a world war just to get back at your brother or sister? I mean, I haven't personally, but I could see where it could happen. <laughs> I'm concerned. <laughs> there was that one okay. time with, with Pangea. Oh, yeah. Good times with my little brother. <laughs> Wait. There was just one of you, little brothers. You have 15. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> Are you the one we're still? No, no, please. World War One. A lot of interconnection and people who have personal relations and agreements about defense. What happens then? Uh, well, it turned out that it was. I mean, the, the, the powder keg was lit. Mm. By it was a, lit, fam. <laughs> the powder keg exploded after a an assassination in Serbia, where a uh, a Serbian guy named Gavrilo Princip managed to assassinate the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Franz Ferdinand. And once that happened, like this Serbian guy killed the this archduke of austria hungary 
So Austria-Hungary declares war on Serbia. Serbia has a defensive pact with Russia, so Russia declares war on Austria-Hungary. Germany has a defense pact with Austria-Hungary, so Germany declares war on Russia. And then Russia has a defense pact with Britain and France, so Britain and France declare war on Germany. And now we have World War I. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. And they all start bashing each other's head in. Uh, more or less. Um, <laughs> World War I really was I mean, what, what's really defined as the first modern war. It was the first time we really had like Gatling guns deploy, deployed at like full strength against one another. Um, it was the first time we saw airplanes in a, a, a role in war. Yeah, um, wasn't air superiority the one one of the big things that turned it? Um, not entirely. Like airplanes were a really new technology at the time, so they were mostly used for like reconnaissance purposes. At, like there weren't a lot of bombing runs made in World War One. There were a lot of like air, like dogfighting in the air. That's where we get the stories of like the Red Baron and stuff. But it was mostly like recon work. And yeah, just just logistical benefits. Um, you also get the first tanks in World War One, but because they were literally brand new towards the end of the war, no one really knew how to effectively use them yet. They were just used as bunker busters. There were the things where like the tank would literally just roll over a bunker and like cause <laughs> chaos that the troops would then swarm in afterwards to kind of clean up. I love how people think, what's the most efficient way to use a rolling, basically, tank? Well, yes, it is tank. A rolling bunker. Let's just roll uh, over their bunker and hope it works. Yeah, that's basically it. Is <laughs> just the way that it was, it was a lot of generals using outdated strategy with modern weaponry, which is how you get trench warfare. You have two sides digging in to, you know, shoot at each other face to face rather than utilizing any sort of mobility to try and outflank anyone. It was very much a classic style of war where, you know, just like in the American Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars, you have one side lines up in the ranks, the other side lines up in the ranks. They march towards each other and they stand there and fire at each other standing still. Yeah, and I remember correctly, it was also uh, almost entirely non-civilian. So there, there was no thought of even attacking civilian population groups, was there? Or not a lot of people? Um, not a whole lot in World War One, And again, that's mostly because of the nature of the war itself. The fact that the battlefields were fairly self-contained into these trenches with this no, man land, no man's land in between. It wasn't a whole lot of mobilized fighters taking cities. They didn't really have enormous opportunity to sack cities full of civilian populations. Um, oh, right. So, what what turned the tides of this war? Or was it always uneven? Um, it was always kind of uneven because you really had <clears throat> you really had Germany and Austria against Russia, Britain, and France. So, like Germany and Austria were really sandwiched in between. And oh, yeah. it began where because you know towards the end of towards the end of the war, obviously you had Russia 
pulling out entirely because they had a little revolution of their own to deal with. And that allowed Germany to really focus on the Western Front, but that also coincided with the United States getting into the war. And that really provided a big boost in even just the sheer number of troops coming in to help push Germany back into or push the German troops back towards Germany. And then that combined with that combined with like an economic collapse in Germany is really what caused the end of the war. Why is it that a associate American involvement with a large amount of troops? Is there any particular reason? I mean, it's really just because that, that was, that was what happened. Like, Russia pulled out, though Germany was able to concentrate everything <laughs> on the Western Front. So, I mean, they were really at a standstill. Like, just Germany against France and Britain was pretty much a standstill in what is now on the Western France. Front. Yeah. So, once you introduce all of the American, once you introduce all of the American troops to that front, it really just it gave them so many more options to to go in and actually accomplish things against the German army. And again, the biggest part of it was that the German economy kind of collapsed at this point. So that was like more than anything any military did was the fact that the German economy collapsed and just allowed them no more room to continue a war effort. All right. And then we have the Spanish flu, which we've talked about. The uh, mm. thing is, you mentioned the French pulling out uh, for a revolution out of the war. The, it is. the Russians, yeah. Uh, the Russians as well. Oh, pardon, did you say Russians? So I, w- I want to talk about the greatest revolutions in the history of mankind, starting with the Neolithical one. Starting with the what one? Neolithical? I'm oh, ne- really... Neolithic. Yeah, Neolithic. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, that was yeah. That's yeah. Paleolithic to Neolithic was like the old Stone Age to the new Stone Age. That was that's really when you get people sitting down, realizing that they can cultivate land and farm things, which gives you the opportunity to provide more food than you personally need, so that you can have someone else or multiple other people that can do things that are not just providing food for themselves to survive that a lot like just granting people that that freedom to not have to worry about their own survival is a big catalyst to creating innovations like that's you know that's how we start getting like blacksmithing and mining and archery and we start congregating in these settlements that get bigger and bigger as people are able to farm and feed more people and this really is like it's the beginning of beginnings of society. All right, which is a pretty social beginning. Uh, what's the next big revolution? Well, it depends on. There's a whole lot of factors to it. I know the uh, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire is always a big one because I mean that's something there a revolution in there. There was a lot. Is is Caesar's uprising to power a revolution? Was there a revolution afterwards? 
See, that's that's the, that's always like kind of the tough thing with defining a revolution because because <laughs> revolutions can really take the form of a lot of different things. Like the Neolithic Revolution took place over hundreds of years as you know as people slowly started to settle and gather together. I would really say one of the bigger revolutions would have to be the fall of the Roman Empire. Is that because? Mainly because it was a giant step backwards for Western civilization. This was a time when China was really starting to come into their own as as a a powerful entity. And then at that same time you had European civilization pretty much collapsing. Yeah, they, we did regress back into the Middle Ages. If I remember correctly, the only people able to read in the Middle Ages were priests and uh, those schooled in priesthood, which made them the sole providers of knowledge. So, yeah, we regressed pretty well. Uh, well, we regressed pretty badly, I suppose. And yeah. we also started tearing down old Roman buildings in order to build our new stuff, which was way worse and way smaller. Yep. And we've, we we went through a whole period of just bad everything. Or is is there anything redeeming about European Middle Ages? See, uh, the the one bright spot in the Middle Ages is Charlemagne, and he was a guy from Charlemagne is Charles the Great. It's translated into Charlemagne in French, and he was a guy that really conquered a lot of Western Europe around was the year like 800 or so. And the, the, the story goes that he like united like France and most of Spain and parts of Germany, what is now Germany under him and traveled to Rome. And the story goes that he was praying in, in the Vatican when like the Pope snuck on up, snuck up on him and put a crown on his head <laughs> and, and named him the Holy Roman Emperor. I got you now. <laughs> and like, that really was like, just, just that period, especially after that, that, uh, like that, that event is said to have took place like Christmas day of the year 800. And it really was like for a little while after that, there was like this period of relative stability in Europe, but just like with Alexander the great, just like with however many other empires throughout history, Charlemagne's empire didn't really last past his death. Like once he died, everything just split up. You had, then you had a France, you had a Germany, you had a Holy Roman empire in between, which is always ironic because it was not holy. It was not Roman and it was not an empire. <laughs> Uh, quick question for Tyler. Have you ever had mm. a Pope or someone sneak up to you and try to crown you Holy Emperor praying? Yeah, but I shot him. Oh, oh you did? Yeah, did you get him the... good? It's yeah, the most right American thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he and he fell down and the, the crown fell out of his hand and landed on my shrine to capitalism. No. <sighs> Unfortunate, but what you gonna do? Well, sell it, obviously. <laughs> exactly. All right. 
what about you, Matt? Are you a devout believer in something? Have you have you had Pope sneak up on you? <laughs> oh man, I was kind of hoping to avoid this question, but no, I uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I am a, uh, I am an avowed atheist. I like. I'm not, I promise, I'm not like some like edgelord teen, like I'm not aggressively atheist, No, <laughs> but like, not. but I do, I do not believe in a, any, any form of religion government. or higher power. Yeah, you, um, you don't believe in a government. I get it. Got, um, yeah, Summer is a, a devout agnostic. Aha. I am not devout and I'm not an agnostic. I'm a philosopher. Uh, but I, I was also severely mistaken right now because what I thought Matt was going to refer to is he really wanted to avoid the, uh, having to answer the question whether a pope snuck up on him. And I had no, literally no idea where that was. Because I have never heard any stories of popes sneaking up on people. And I was like, all right. How, how does one come to hope? Oh, please don't ask me about that time. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Especially after the first guy says, yeah, I shot him. <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> okay. I mean, that Everyone explains knows. why he never got to me, I guess. I suppose. <laughs> oh, somebody's taking them, themselves very ground now. Uh, we have been talking about the fall of the Roman Empire, the Dark Ages. Uh, thing my history teacher mentioned is that the French Revolution is considered to be on par with the pa Paleolithic Revolution yep. by some historians. Why? Um, well, that's because at the time, France was one of, if not the most powerful country in the world. And even though the French Revolution took place after the American one, like the American one was just seen as like some backwater colonists on the other side of the ocean are trying to do something silly. Like the French Revolution was the fall of one of the greatest and oldest dynasties in Europe. And like the rise of this democratic movement. And it really shook. It really shook the foundations of Europe at the time. <laughs> like almost immediately after that revolution, like all through the 1790s, France was at war with most of its neighbors as people kept tr coming in to try and like shut down this new government and reinstall the monarchy because they were afraid that if this caught on in France, it could catch on anywhere. I mean, they were true. Also, about the backwater thing, uh, a short update. We're still kind of seeing you as a backwater colony over the oceans doing some silly stuff. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, and unless it comes to economy or warfare. Or what's the third one? Uh, I wouldn't Culture. say religion. No, <laughs> we definitely don't associate you with. But let's stick to economy because it's probably one of the bigger things. Maybe uh, international relations as well. Uh, <clears throat> we have talked about those. So let's finally talk about your 
field of research, your specialized field of research, your bachelor's degree or master's degree field of research. Uh, that would be my bachelor's degree. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, my World War II focus, I assume you're talking about. Sure. Uh, yeah, good times. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> Uh, I, I can assure you, I do not associate the Second World War with any kind of good times. No, well, it helps to be on the winning side, I guess. And no, it doesn't. <laughs> also, I'm not on the losing side. <laughs> uh, but T Tell me if your fond memories of the greatest war of our times. <laughs> well, I will say, I know... One of the one of the biggest papers that I ever did when I was in college, and uh, one that I kind of <laughs> remember the most, even though I mean this was almost fifteen years ago now. Yeah, damn. Wow, that's really long. Yeah, but one of the one of the things I remember the most was a paper I did on uh, the Blitzkrieg, which, Ooh. for those that don't know, is the tactic or blitzkrieg literally means like lightning war and it was what it was the uh the tactics that the german military used to implement like tanks and planes into a more modern warfare strategy so that we didn't just have a repeat of world war one and what they did was they you they organized all of their tanks into like one or several large armored battalions rather than what they did in world war one, which was like each infantry battalion would have like a tank as a, almost as a support unit. What the Germans did is they organized them into armies of tanks. And the reason, the biggest reason it was so effective was because these were very mobile. They were very fast. So they could just race they could punch a hole through your defensive line and race wherever they needed to go, whether they were just trying to surround you or whether they were just like trying to get past you to get to a city they were trying to take. Um, it first obviously opened up against Poland in September of 1939. And like the Poles were still trying to fight them with lances from horseback. It was they were just completely outclassed in that war. Well, I call it a war. It was like six weeks. Wars <laughs> have taken under an hour. Yeah. All right. But so but, yeah, but then after that, I was like, just real quick too. After that, Germany turned around and went right after France, which again was one of the more powerful countries at the time. Wow. And what France had was this thing called the Maginot Line. It was a line of forts all along the border with Germany. And basically they were defending like they were preparing for another World War I style assault. And when Germany came through and just like raced past all these forts with their tanks, like France was kind of like stuck sucking on their thumbs while Paris was falling. Well, I gotta say that's a funny image Again. I now imagine a fully stocked fort just seeing it running for race, a tank race, race a tank race by I, I don't know it seems pretty amusing in my mind but okay 
So Germany took France and then well, and then from there it kind of devolved into almost a stalemate. Like from there you had um you had Germany against Britain for the most part. There most of that war ended up taking place actually in uh northern Europe or not northern Europe, northern Africa. And then you had the um, what is now referred to as the Blitz. It was German airplanes just constantly doing bombing runs over England. Like London was shelled constantly for a good three years. And while most of. Sorry, what? Uh, if I remember correctly, Germany would have been able to win this bombing, bombing war if the English did not manage to do some pretty well placed bombings in Berlin. Therefore, enraging uh, Germans, enraging the Germans, leading to them doing a full-on assault, which was repelled and resulted in them losing most of their planes. That is true, like, and that was that was like the big thing of of the Blitz was like Britain was severely outmanned and outgunned in this. The big thing they had in their favor was just that narrow strip of water in between England and France, the English Channel. And it honestly wasn't until Germany made the mistake of invading Russia in 1940 that, you know, everything kind of went to shit on their end. Yeah, just just don't invade Russia. Yeah. Although I, I did hear uh, that some of Germany's top military strategy advisors uh, would have been able, or at least uh, to win, if not to prolong, if not win the war, by attacking their stockpiles of oil and gas reserves. But instead, uh, they were overruled by their supreme leader, who wanted to attack Stalingrad. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, mostly Stalingrad became one of the like bloodiest and like worst battles of the war because that really was because like the city itself was named for Stalin, the guy who was in charge of Russia. The it became a very symbolic fight. Like Stalin kept pouring units into that and he told them like if you if you retreat you will be shot. So it was one of those you had to either die fighting or you would be shot by your own guys if you tried to retreat meanwhile hitler's pouring german troops into that to try and take down this city named after the guy on the other side as like this big symbolic victory and it just it just devolved into one of the messiest and like bloodiest battles of the war how well did the Russian troops handled their morale after being told they were going to be shot. Uh, well, <laughs> I think morale was already pretty damn low at that point. So there's not much, not much else to do there. But the one thing that Russia always did really well was propaganda. So they were always really good at inspiring their troops to fight for Mother Russia. So it, it definitely helped that they were defending their own land. It definitely helped that they were like defending their own homeland rather than, you know, being on the invading end of it. You know, it, it's always harder to keep up morale when you're invading than when you're being invaded. Indeed. 
I gotta say, it's pretty fun how well this ties into Machiavelli's Valley's book, The Prince. So Germany lost their war, and then we arrived in our post-World War II society. With America emerging as the big victor, they didn't have to pool as many resources. So we're back to American politics. <laughs> Full circle now. Um, Post-World War II, what, what went on in international politics? Now? Because no longer just in America, which is something we're going to consider now. Yeah, well, post-World War II, it really, the entire world really became about the United States versus the Soviet Union, the Cold War, like capitalism versus communism. And it set up all sorts of conflicts and bad decisions on both sides. Um, like, not three years after... After World War II ended, there's then the Korean War breaks out, where you know the a communist uprising in the northern half of the country springs up, and the U.S. floods into the southern half to try and stop that spread. And that just triggered a whole mess of bad decisions on the part of the U.S. because they adopted what's known as domino theory, which is the idea that if they allow one country to fall to communism, it's just going to start a domino effect where like all of the countries around it are then going to fall, and soon the whole world's going to be communist. Where did they get the idea from? Honestly, I think it was mostly fear-mongering. Like, I, I really don't... Honestly, it was probably similar to what... Uh, most of Europe felt after the French Revolution. It was, they, they felt that like, if we allow this idea to take root, it's going to spread here too. So there really was this big propaganda effort, this big fear-mongering effort in America to really demonize socialism and communism and really like, to really gin up support among the populace to stop this big spread from happening. I think they overshot it, considering the state of your public health care, or like the existent state of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So is, is there currently a plan in motion to uh, better involve American public health care? Uh depends entirely on who you're asking like there are a lot of plans available but in motion right now there are i don't think there's any really that can be considered in motion mainly because of the way the senate is currently set up and the president that is currently in office um any any plans to really reform the american healthcare system are going to be done completely without the aid of the Republican Party because they have made themselves, they have made their position to be completely dead set against nationalized healthcare. I guess they can trump all other things. Oh, come on, that was a good one. Okay, <laughs> uh, we're into foreign politics. 
I would like to finish this up by talking about the threat of a third world war, which has apparently been considered in the beginning of 2020. And as we know from World War One, they thought it was a great war and a war to end all wars because never again would we have one. And then we had World War Two come along. And afterwards, everyone felt, we're never going to have another world war. So what do you say about the prospect of future uh, global conflicts? Well, my thinking on that is right now, it seems very unlikely because of the way that all the countries in the world are so interconnected and interdependent economically. Like the best way to avoid a war is to have something to lose. And right now, the way that the U.S. is in such a close trade relationship with China and with Europe and with South America, like all of these nations rely on each other economically. So it, it makes a, any sort of sustained war effort almost impossible. I, I just... So, I just got my conspiracy theory. Exactly what you were talking about. Because all the countries are so economically interconnected. Going to Corona. <laughs> Sorry, this is something I've been thinking about for a little while. Go ahead. No. Corona shut down one country. And they, the secret powers behind everything. Yes. They saw that one country could be shut down and the people wouldn't revolt. So then they started spreading the virus and more and more countries got shut down while well, it's coming to America and you know, all the trade was shut down between China and, you know, all the countries. So the U.S. wasn't accepting anything. We're shutting ourselves off economically from the rest of the countries. A world war is about to start. That's the goal of the secret hidden powers. That's why they spread the corona. Everyone, I will say, like that—that that was kind of where I was gonna go to. Is like the only way for like a third third world war really to break out would be for first the global economic system would need to break down. Exactly. I was trying to think about why they want to spread the corona, and I couldn't think of anything. But clearly, they're gonna benefit somehow from a world war. Yes, they preserve themselves for the consumption of human suffering. Did you not know people aren't supposed to feel pain? People aren't supposed to be hurt? It's all something they implemented. Why do ah. you think capitalism failed? It is our supreme leader. Morni. All right. Uh, the Third World War is very unlikely, which is a good thing, is it? Or is it not? Uh, I would love to discuss the future of our economic system, but not tonight. I would, however, ask something else. So, Matt, you don't know this, but usually we have a habit here of asking all of our viewers to leave some kind of comment below our videos or below our Spotify. And for tonight, I will not be doing this. Instead, I would love for you to introduce your own podcast and talk about that for a few moments. Oh, uh, okay. Well, um, well, the podcast that I am a major part of is called uh, Swiss Army Scorpion. And for the major nerds that might be listening to this, we are a live play 
uh, role-playing game podcast, we play Pathfinder, which is kind of an offshoot of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, And we play a pre-written adventure path called Skull & Shackles, which is very heavy on pirate themes. So we've got uh, almost 100 episodes out now. So if you have any interest in hearing uh, five friends just goof around, roll dice, and pretend to be other people, then yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd love it if you guys would give us a listen. It's uh, Swiss Army Scorpion. You find it on anywhere you can find podcasts. And link I in the description. Took a dark turn, like play dice, have a go, and pretend to be other people. But Matt, why would I ever want the universe which tells a great and frolling story of human connection by a fantasy setting that is intriguing and new? Because we're fun and funny, I think. All right. That's all for tonight, folks. Tyler, you have something you wish to share. In part, your wisdom. Pope slaying wisdom. Sorry, you cut out a bit. Impart your Pope slaying wisdom on us as parting words. Ah. History is good. Learn from it. <gasps> yes, that's a quote. Uh, so we all know the quote. Uh, who doesn't know history is doomed to repeat it. And that's just one side of the call. The other side is uh, history has a lot of great ideas. For example, the Roman government, which was a cool idea overall. Or the invention of democracy which most people like or capitalism so whatever your views and ideas are there's probably some of them in history and you can see how they played out so the other side of this is whoever doesn't know history has no chance of ever repeating it not even the great parts <laughs> so learn history it's gonna help you and with all that said i hope you've all had fun listening to this hope you've enjoyed this as a bit more of a more educative system tonight. I wish you all a lovely evening.